Welcome citizens, you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours start now. I can say this with all sincerity. Welcome back to New Amsterdam Radio. Global Boys here, of course, the mayor. Uh, doing some work on this morning here in the mayor's office. Well, thank you so much for riding with us through our first unimposed hiatus. <laughs> Usually I can say hiatus would be on me, but finally I was able to take the time off to see the world, enjoy the summer a bit, and to uh, sit down with some individuals who make me go, hmm. And so I just want to say thank you so much for rocking with the show as we're growing. And ironically, we actually had one of the most downloaded episodes uh, the first week of the hiatus. So maybe I should not come to work as often as I should. <laughs> Just kidding. NewAmsterdam.com, KNW, Amsterdam.com. That's you get to learn about this show and all the other shows in the New Amsterdam Entertainment Network. And you can follow me personally at Boys on that Twitter and at Flobito on that Instagram. Uh, let me know what you think about the show and what projects you're working on. Just be my friend to connect with me to see all the other projects that I'm working on. You only got one life on this earth. You got to make it count. My guest this week on New Answer Radio, though, makes it count. We have a multi-creative in the midst, Katie Montlajorge. Uh, we got uh, the talking because we had a shared background in stationery uh, with New Amsterdam brand being a stationery brand originally. But not only that, she is an author. She helps other creatives maximize their creativeness and is also doing other projects as well. She splits her time between South Africa and England. And so getting the right time zone where we all can connect took a little bit of a long while, but I'm so glad we have an opportunity to do so. This show is global. Our audience is global. And it's my job to bring uh, guests that reflect that. So thank you for all over the world for checking out the Amsterdam Radio. So, so I can say, oh, you know what? It'd be cool if we got people from creatives from all over the parts of the, the planet that are checking out the show. So, you know, that's why you get to be, uh, whether you know it or not, their listener, an influence to who we bring on the show. Katie George coming up next. I want to say thank you so much for checking out this show. Tell a friend. Welcome back to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creators. It is I, the mayor, Flobo Boys, in the mayor's office of people who are doing the dang thing. And my guest today is doing it on so many levels. We're talking about the CEO, founder of a stationary company, a children's author, a mental health advocate, and more. Please welcome Miss Katie George. How's it going? Thank you so much, Flobo. <laughs> it's so exciting to be here. Gosh, that intro was quite something. As you were saying it, I was like, is that me? I was yeah. like, yes, it's me. <laughs> well, it's, it's so, I'm so glad that you have some time to carve out here. But that's my first question, because a lot of us, a lot of creatives, a lot of entrepreneurs, we do a lot because we have to. They talk about wearing the many hats, whatever that may yeah. be. How do you describe what you do to someone? If you say you're at a party and someone's like, hey, what do you do? What do you tell them? Yeah. I mean, to keep it simple, I tell them I run two businesses. One is a paper-based business, which is my stationery and my, and my, and my children's book. So my writing, um, it's all very papery. And then my second side <laughs> is the well-being business, which is being human well, which is the one that's quite new. 
Um, and that really is around coaching on the topic of empathy, compassion and inclusion. So a friend of mine actually called me a multi-creative the other day. So if people have only got one second, I'm just like, I'm a multi-creative. We'll talk about the detail later. <laughs> that, that actually makes a lot of sense. And so you're based in both South Africa and the United Kingdom. Uh, what was that like? Yeah. What was the jump like? How, how does that different? Why? What came out? How that came about? Yeah, so I'm actually half South African, half British. So I've got a British father, a South African mother. Yeah. Um, and I was born in Swaziland, which is this tiny country in Southern Africa. Um, and then moved to the UK when I was about six years old um, and lived there for my whole life. So I'm, I'm truly a Londoner, to be honest, in terms of my main upbringing. And then came to Cape Town three years ago to really kind of discover, you know, my South African roots and to feel what it's like to live in South Africa, which is very different to the UK, obviously. Um, so it's just incredible having both sides. Always wanted to visit. Um, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, the last thing I want to do is become an ugly American. Like, is it true? Like, no. But Swaziland changed its name recently, didn't it? Yes. Oh my gosh. No, hardly anyone knows that. I'm so impressed. Yes, it's Swaziland is now called Eswatini. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So the king, there's a, there's a king of Swaziland. He's, he's, I think it's the, Swaziland is the last absolute monarchy in the world. So the king runs the country. Yeah. And Swaziland as a name was given by the British rulers back in the day. Okay, um, so yeah. he changed it to be Eswatini, which means land of the Swazis to kind of emphasize that the land is for the Swazi people. So that's why the name changed. It was the 50th, I think 50th anniversary of um, freedom from British rule. So it's, oh, a, it's quite yeah. a cool story. <laughs> that was kind of interesting. My, my, my family, uh, they're from Barbados uh, in the West Indies. And, uh, they celebrated 55 years of independence, becoming a republic or breaking away from the, wow. the British monarchy as well. Because for a while there, those Brits got around. You know what I'm saying? Oh, they did. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly did, including my dad. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry, like, that was real. But but what, what was originally appealing to, to to reach out to you is that it was kind of a quirky thing. New Amsterdam Radio is a brand that, that I own because originally New Amsterdam uh, was a stationary company. And I like to show my guests this. I created my own notebooks uh, because as a comedian, I wanted to write my jokes down. And most skins were like $30 a pop. Uh, mm, <laughs> what was that yeah. like? A lot of times people look at those kind of ideas that are kind of a little bit out of the ordinary stations around forever, but everyone's like, oh, wait, I have a cell phone, I have a, a whatever, I have a, a tablet. When you said, I want to do something of quality that seems to be a little bit outside of what people think is quote unquote functional, what was your mm. motivation to keep pushing through to make your brand pop? Mm. Do you know what? For me, it was really that I couldn't find the notebook that I wanted in the stores. So I was like, ah, I'm so fed up of buying something that I don't actually want because I'm just, I'm just settling for less. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I thought, well, and I was like, well, what do I want and how do I actually create that? Um, you know, for me, it was a lot to do with the design and actually love the notebook you just showed because you've got some embossing on the front, haven't you? Yeah. And I, I love yeah. to like have texture on stationery, so you can actually feel, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can feel the embossing there. So I thought, you know what? I like a notebook that lays flat. I can write on both sides. I love the kind of letterpress embossing. Um, I, I'm very specific about the sustainability of the product. So that what the paper's made of and how it's produced. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was, I need something that's functional and looks cool, um, and is created by, you know, small family producers and is sustainable as well. So basically I created what yeah. I couldn't find. That's what drove me. And interestingly, I actually designed my stationery first when I was a kid. 
So when I was about eight, nine years old, I had already designed stationery. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, as an adult, I just made it a little bit more grown up, um, thought about it more seriously, went back into my kitty archives, pulled out all the designs and then made it a reality. So yeah, I think there's a bit of a gap in the market, but it is hard because not everybody uses a notebook anymore, right? People right. do have technology. So it's, it still is a tough sell, to be honest. Um, but people who have bought one always come back to buy another one. Right. So, yeah, people think they don't need notebooks anymore. But once you put a really good one in front of them, they're like, oh, goodness, this actually now I will go back to pen and paper. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So what I like to hear about that is that you recognizing that one, you had a passion for it for years and you just said, you know what, I'm leaning into it. And two, mm. understanding there was a room for that. And so what was makes that cool for me in watching the growth of that is that you never wavered. I mean, there were times I bet they were kind of difficult, you know, but yeah, you kept pushing oh, sure. through. But it's only one part of your empire. So at what point did you realize, hey, that plate's spinning, Katie wants more? Yeah, do you know, when it started kind of running itself, so, I mean, I still package everything, you know, I think people think that sometimes you stop doing all that stuff, but you do, you, you keep doing it to keep the business going and keep it afloat. And I quite like that, I like quite being hands-on. So I'll open my cupboard, get all the stock out, package all the orders. And, you know, my website was up and running, all my banking is sorted, my tax, you know, all the re admin stuff, that took a while. That's all running itself now. So all I do is pack orders, pack orders, off they go. And I thought, well, I've got capacity now to do something else. What else have I always wanted to do? Um, yeah. And that's when the writing came in. And I thought, this is great now because I understand how to pick paper. I understand printing processes. I understand, you know, the, the implementations of kind of finding producers and getting that support. So it didn't seem so far away from the stationary brand to do yeah. the book. Yeah. yeah. So I think quite often when you're running one business, if it starts going smoothly and it starts having elements that run themselves, or if there are parts you can get other people to run for you, then start thinking about what's close to that. You know, what's what's close to what's what else is papery, like I said earlier. And it was the book. Yeah. <laughs> so I just wrote the book, um, found an incredible illustrator, and then along the way realized that I did have skill set gaps where I didn't know how to get it to market. And that's when I started thinking about who can I ask for help? You know, who's going to be able to get me into the stores? Who's going to be able to print this in the formats that bookshops want? Um, so you have to understand what you are able to do yourself and what you have to get help on as well. Um, that's been a, a learning lesson for me, for sure. Mm. So we're talking about Meadow and Marley's Magical Mix. Uh, so I guess a beginning of a series of books that ever promotes inclusion uh, for, for children's mm. um, stories. I thought it was interesting seeing the, the, the kind of art style you did. You wanted to show representation. That's a conversation that seems to be uh, very hot right now, finding ways for our next generation to feel like they belong. What's been your experience with the launch of that book? Well, how do fans approach you? What's been their feedback? You know, the, the feedback has been incredible. I've had parents emailing me saying I didn't have a fun tool to use to talk to my kids about race. And, you know, it's it's quite hard. I think quite often children's books tend to focus a bit on the negatives in order to then come out with the positive, which mm -hmm. is nice. But actually, this book starts off positive from the beginning. It's exciting from the start. You know, there's nothing that's, you know, making kids feel bad before they feel better. 
I think right. we have to be very careful with that topic when we talk about race, that it often starts with a negative and then turns into a positive. Why not just start with a positive and end with a positive and give kids that confidence, that oomph, that representation? Um, so for, the book is actually about my real nie niece and nephew who are really called Meadow and Molly. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so cute. Yeah, it's just great names. Um, and they're mixed heritage. So my sister and I are both mixed heritage as well, right? British and South African. But they're further mixed with Portuguese and Angolan. And, and so I just could not find a book that represented them in the stores. Right. And I was thinking, you know, I think we all know that most characters in kids' books are either white people or are animals, right? I mean, the, right. the stuff <laughs> right. scary. Right. The stuff is scary. There are more children's books that have main characters as animals than main characters as people of color. It's right. crazy. Um, so yeah, again, I wanted to fill that gap. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because I'm from an era where they were uh, animals and 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 white kids, and and it was kind of understood like, hey, no, project yourself onto that. Doesn't matter. It's the story that matters. But then you look at what's on the market now, and your, your property included, and it goes, well, that's great. I mean, it's great imagining, but now you can actually see people that look like you, and it's normal. Yeah. It's not considered like weird or different in the in the bad way. It's different in a good way. Yes. It's beautiful. I mean, it's, yeah. it's really important. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, they always say about CEOs uh, or or chief executive officers for the uninitiated uh, that there's always a board of trustees. So, who are your board of trustees? Who keeps you accountable? Who's like, hey, may a quarter three earnings are lagging this month? Like, who do you refer to? You have a creative decision to make. Do you know what? Actually. I don't have any official board of trustees. I am. I, it's me, Flo. Why not? Don't it's, Love it. it's me. And you know what? But, you know, until I get to that point, I know that point's going to come, you know, one day. Until I get there, I've got some incredibly supportive family and friends who yeah. check in on me, who I ask for advice from. I have incredible colleagues. So actually, before I was a multi-creative, um, I worked in the corporate world for 15 years. So I used to be a, a recruiter, basically, um, oh, wow. and worked in a massive tech firm most recently, heading up a recruitment team for Europe, Middle East and Africa. So I'm actually a very corporate person from a career point of view. Mm -hmm. And I've switched into this multi-creative because all that creativity was hidden behind. But interestingly, a lot of the people who encourage me and check in on me from a business perspective are my old colleagues from the corporate world. Excellent. So... They're amazing. They'll always call me up and they'll say, how are you measuring the results of that? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yes, good point. And they're saying, have you separated your business account, and your personal account? I'm like, oh, yes, I have now. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's always good so to have a support network. network. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> KPIs and ROIs, I always say. Uh, you mentioned that you were you're in the corporate life, and I, I was too. And unfortunately, I come from uh, actually my one of my last uh, corporate jobs was in recruiting as well. I worked in the social media yeah. talent management department, so I made content to make the company look cool, which is kind of weird because it's a company. You're like, who cares? Okay. So anyway, uh, you made the jump. What was that like? Was it kind of a moment where you said, you know what, it's time for me to do it? Was it like a really bad day at work going? Oh, to heck with this. I'm going to go in my own direction. What was that like for you? Do you know what it was? I'll try and keep the story very short, but I've always had a side hustle every, you know, throughout my whole corporate career. I've always had that thing on the side that's been creative. So I've known I always wanted to be self-employed. But what really happened was a very challenging work situation for me in my last role where I started to notice behavior in the office that I, I just couldn't 
pretend wasn't happening. I, I didn't enjoy it. And I'd got to the point in my career where I found it hard to ignore certain things. Yeah. Um, so I took a sabbatical and took some time off um, with the plan to go back to that role. But unfortunately, when I was going back, they said, you know, there's no opportunity here anymore. Um, we're going to have to start thinking about other opportunities. And then, to be honest, there was nothing else in the company that I wanted to do. And it was a real reality check for me because I started thinking, do I actually want to stay here? You know, right. did I want to did I want to be here? Why did I actually take the sabbatical? You know, you have to be very honest with yourself about why did you step away? What did you really want to say to yourself? Right. You know, what were you really feeling? You know, are you putting the blame on others or is there something inside you that you just haven't let go yet? Um, so I got a coach who coached me as well. And I realized that I actually just wanted to be self-employed, that the universe was giving me the biggest sign and the biggest push to say, Katie, now is your time. Go be your own CEO. Go be your multi-creative. Yeah. Um, so it started off a little bit awkward in terms of the separation from corporate. And ended as this massive blessing. <laughs> I'm I'm so glad you, yeah. you mentioned that because uh, a lot of us have that moment. Uh, my parents, I just mentioned before, are immigrants to the United States. Came up here in the 70s, and I wanted to, to do this. And it took uh, betting on the self, and it took a lot of months. It took a pandemic to actually make this happen. And separating your business account—that's very important. But uh, <laughs> what what is was there pressure to keep a good job, quote unquote? Was there pressure to stay corporate? What are you talking about? Your dreams—it's a nice mm. job, a nice career. You went to school for it or university for it. Stick with that. Yeah, absolutely. There, there was. I mean, I, I don't know. If, I, I don't know if pressure is the right word. But there was, um, you know, similar to you with your parents, I mean, they've done so much for us to get us to a point where, you know, we do have good education, we have had good jobs, you know what I mean? Like they, my mom certainly didn't have that experience when she was a child. So I think the pressure was mainly on myself that, you know, is this the right thing to do? Is this secure? Is this really why my mom like bust herself so much to get me to this point that I decide that I want to quit and make some stationery? You know, it just felt so funny. Um, yeah. But I think actually more so what it was, was a lack of understanding from my parents. My parents have never worked in corporate careers. They have always hustled and had lots of different businesses. And they had struggled with that, to be honest. It's, it's not mm -hmm. secure. It's not regular. And so I think they actually just had a bit of a fear that I was trying to follow in their footsteps when they had seen entrepreneurship go up and down. There were good times, there were bad times. And they were just scared that that might happen to me too. And I think they have that fear, but they didn't put pressure on me to stay in a corporate career. They were just a little bit, you know, oh, just be cautious, you know, just because you've seen us hustling doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. You know, maybe right, you don't right, have right. to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, don't leave by this example. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it's self-pressure, right? I was right. questioning myself. Mm. Hmm. But now it's the right decision. No, like top to bottom. You would never do anything differently. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, I'm okay. so happy. Yeah, no, I, it was the right decision. I'm, yeah, I'm very happy, Flo, but I wouldn't change any decision. Yeah. <laughs> and so you get to help other people go through that transition. Is that the right word? I, I don't know. That, that, that shift as well. Moon, what's that like for you? Yeah, so I help. I mean, to, to be honest, I actually don't officially help people do that. People, I give people advice. People will come to me and ask, and I'll and I'll happily give them advice. 
Um, what I officially help with is helping leaders in corporates to be more empathetic leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, you know, I said that there were some challenges in the workplace. For me, it came down to the fact that so many leaders didn't really know how to be empathetic or to be inclusive. And they need help. They need help to be able to do that. And they want to do it. They just don't know where to start. So now I go into corporates and I run workshops on empathy, compassion, inclusion. um, And I'm just starting to do one-to-one coaching on that. Um, I really think that so many people would stay in their jobs if their leaders just knew how to put themselves in your shoes and how to understand you better. That's really all humans need. Um, So that is, that is, um, a big part of what I do now. There's got to be some denial in there. There's got to be some leader being like, I'm empathetic. I have an open door policy. Like what? <laughs> How do you make someone realize that there's blind spots? You know? Yeah, it's it's really hard. And to be honest, there are some people who will just never get it. And right. you just have to cut your losses. But I think organizations need to understand who those people are. And there should be repercussions for individuals who are not willing to address these very important skills. Um, you know, these are not just soft skills that should be considered side skills. These are real right. skills that help businesses to make more money and help businesses to retain top talent. Um, to be honest, one of the tools that I use that tends to get through quite well to people is meditation. Okay. So meditate. Yeah, it's crazy. Meditation is a tool that actually helps you to understand other people better. So it is covertly teaching people about inclusion, empathy, and compassion. They just don't really realize that's what's being developed in themselves when they meditate. They'll oh, yeah. do it for, you know, sometimes selfish reasons, which is fine. You know, they're trying to reduce their stress or whatever it is. But ultimately, being a less stressed person, being a more mindful person makes you a more inclusive person. So that is my angle in terms of, individuals who are tougher to persuade, I'll say, let's start with some meditation. And then you see them changing into more empathetic individuals. Oh, well, you know, you, the thing about empathy is that it does change your perspective on a lot of discussions. And so I got to ask you at a personal level, what do you do to get your mental reset? How did you refill your empathy meter if need be? <laughs> yeah, and there was quite a bit of refilling to be done <laughs> when right. I left the corporate space. <laughs> you know, I left a little bit annoyed in some ways and a little bit disgruntled and disappointed. Um, so I needed a tool. I needed something to help me come back to myself. And I would say that I'm naturally quite empathetic because of the way I've been brought up and the experiences I've had in my life that have helped me to understand many different people in different countries in different contexts um so i luckily to have have some life training that's made me empathetic but i did certainly get a little bit shaken up in the corporate world around um you know do people really care about each other you know is it actually very competitive and stuff like that so that's when i started meditating i needed something to just calm me down help me to come back to myself really just to come back to the core purpose of who i am um And then when I started meditating, I wanted more and more of it. And that's when I decided to actually become a teacher. I found a course, um, which is the Chopra course, um, the Deepak Chopra course. And I started the initial training to learn how to meditate. And they said, you know, there's an additional piece you can add on, which is to become a meditation teacher. And that's the best way for you to develop your practice. So that's when I thought, 
oh, let me actually do the training and become a teacher. You know, oh. it's it took about six months to get, no, five months to get there. Um, but it, I could see the difference in myself. So I thought, I want to be able to share this with other people. I could see my, my health getting better. You know, I could see that I was sleeping better. I was less stressed. I was, you know, I was eating better. I thought, this has all happened since I started meditating. So let me share this with everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. A lot of times people will, will find that out, discover it, and keep it to themselves. But you decide to share it with others. That must be kind of like cool, exciting, nerve-wracking. I'm, I'm not sure how what your opinion was, but people always say, keep this good thing to yourselves, but you're able to share it with others. That's pretty awesome. I think that's the whole point of life, right? If you discover something that's made a positive difference to you, then you absolutely need to share it with other people. I mean, I think that's one of the big problems sometimes in, in a lot of industries, actually, even in the creative industry, is that often people feel that if they hold their skill sets themselves, or they, they hold the secret to being less stressed, um, then they're going to be successful in it because only I know about it. But actually, the real success comes from sharing that with others. Um, and, you know, I can't remember what the, the official, oh, you, you rise by lifting others, right? Mm -hmm. I truly believe in that. The more you help others and the more you see other people grow um, and find their purpose, it is literally like a boomerang that comes back at you. It's fulfilling. It's amazing. There, You know, there's gratitude there. And you grow as a person, too. I just think anything you hold close to your chest that right. is going to change someone else's life positively, mm -mm, you need to share it. <laughs> Good point. It's advice for life. What does Katie do on a day off? Do you believe in those? Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> I'm very good at them. I'm very good at them. Um, you know, even when I was in a full-time job, I always took my full holiday allowance. I I always did. Um, on a day off, so here in Cape Town, there's just so much beautiful nature around. So I live at the base of a mountain called Devil's Peak Mountain. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can do amazing hikes up the mountain. There's Table Mountain as well, which I think most people would have heard of from South Africa, which is a beautiful flat top mountain right in town here. And you can go hiking up there. So I, I love that kind of hiking and walking around. Um, I spend a lot of time with my niece and nephew, Meadow and Marley, of course. We take yeah. them out to playgrounds and food markets because i'm a big lover of food yeah. um yeah and we'll just eat our way through cape town <laughs> uh, personal question what is your favorite junk food because healthy food is okay whatever junk food let me know what that what, what's your favorite <laughs> you know you're gonna laugh because just before this i had a massive bowl of crisps and i just yeah. i just love crisps <laughs> yeah any particular flavor or any flavor? Oh, do you know what? I, sweet and sour, you know, like a, like, a, like, a, like a sweet and sour kind of like um, sweet chili sauce, you oh, know, wow. those kind of ones. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Why not? I want to put that on my food tour. Uh, it's funny It's funny because uh, I mentioned uh, junk food because I was looking at fast food, uh, just history of fast food, because even in my, my downtime, I'm looking at the history of junk food. <laughs> And for some reason, YouTube was like, hey, do you want these commercials from, um, and I will say this, is a uh, South African fast food place called Chicken Lincoln. And I've watched all these ads oh. the past 10 years. <laughs> it was like, so bizarre this place. <laughs> I had to go visit the Chicken Lincoln when I get down there. Uh, 
So I don't know what YouTube was thinking. Uh, I love my, I love fast food in general. I'm just a junk food guy. I'm a recovering fat kid. So anything else you can give me would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you know what? I've never been to a chicken licking. Now I feel a desire to go. <laughs> You're probably like, Lobo, don't go. It's not worth it. The commercial is the best part. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's July 2022. Either in the pandemic still or post-pandemic. I'm not sure where you are because it seems like everyone has their own definition. But where do you see yourself and your business in the back half of 22 moving into 23? Oh, man. Do you know what? I really see myself doing meditation retreats and, you know, taking mindfulness into the workplace a lot more. Um, I really want to see a positive change in, in people in corporate space. I don't want people to leave their jobs because they're not getting the well-being that they deserve and need. And I see a series of books. So you were right at the start when you said this is probably the beginning of more children's books. This is definitely just the beginning. I'm hoping I'll have another book out early next year, hopefully. <laughs> so, yes. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And so uh, if anyone at this point in time is inspired by what you're doing, what you're working on, how can they connect with you just for advice, just to, 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 to see your brand grow? How can they connect with you online? Yeah. I mean, you can go to my LinkedIn. I know that's very kind of corporate -y, but Katie Mantua George on LinkedIn. I do a lot on there at the moment. So, and that has everything about me on there. And then I have a website, which is also katiemantuageorge.com. And on there, you'll see all the different creative parts of me. You can just click on the box you're interested in, whether it's stationary, well-being, and you'll find lots more contact information there. So I'm, I'm super open. Genuinely, if anyone has a question, do not think twice just contact me <laughs> and don't forget meadow and marley's magical mix available now just for a nice little gift for your your young ones or your friends young ones on that same boat that same wavelength i just it's so great to see you build this uh this i used to say empire sometimes you don't feel like that word but i like that say it because it's different facets it's, it's kind of like this this um brick by brick representation of yourself and it's growing all the time is there any way that anyone listening can support this today with sharing some articles whether it's buying partaking is there any kind of advice you could do to help build you up as it grows oh amazing yes please i mean buy the book obviously that would be great because my publisher is like checking sales <laughs> so you know buy the book and then we'll be able to spread the word a lot more in terms of getting this book in front of more little kids so please do that and if you are curious about mindfulness, contact me. I'm actually doing weekly free meditation on Instagram. So if you're just curious and you want to hear me meditate live on Instagram, um, it's normally either Friday lunchtime or Sunday evening. Then you're also welcome to come there, get a little snippet, find out what it's like. I haven't launched any meditation course courses yet, but come test it out. And then when I launch the courses, you'll be ready to go because you would have seen my style. Um, so yeah, come onto my Instagram, do that and buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Thank you so much, Flobo. <laughs>
kneamsterdam.com. Until next time, this city is yours. 